started uh, discussing why what and there is a we discussed that there is a webinar fatigue and we probably need to just catch up and all of us have been missing uh, socializing partying and get together so uh, we thought of it, this online event where we can make social sharing possible so this is an effort towards that so we have limited number of people and we will be discussing something other than uh, design uh, and we thought of finance and when we thought of finance we thought of uh, dr lamba uh, most of you uh, know him already and uh, i'm sure you know him as an author of bestseller book romancing romancing the balance sheet he has also written around 1500 articles and several books which are currently making waves all across through his books dr lamba has educated people on romancing with balance sheet flirting with stock market figuring out the world of figures with eyes on the bottom line and he has also thrown uh, a light on financial affairs of common man uh, dr lamba uh, lamba's training uh, programs are held internationally with client list exceeding 2000 large and medium sized corporations across several countries uh, including india usa europe russia africa the middle east and the far east his flagship program the finance edge has completed over 118 batches uh, in past 29 years and i am happy to share that i am a student of his 92nd batch which was held in tmtc for non accounting person like me this program was a turning point and i continue going back to him for his advice today i'm really happy that he's here uh, with uh, with all of us at adi looking forward to his session and i welcome him be of of adi welcome dr lamba over to you sir welcome thank you raghuve thank you so much very very happy to be here i must tell you that i am i the maximum admiration i have is for artists and design people so today i am amongst people who i hold very very high in my esteem and i'm honored to be here thank you thank you for inviting me before uh, before we begin uh, dr lamba um, once again a very warm welcome to you and we are all looking forward to uh, hear from you and just before we begin uh, i wanted you to get some idea of uh, what kind of audience uh, we are we are currently about 25 people on the call so i'm, I'm just going to uh, ask a question so everybody uh, you will see a, a poll uh, on the on your screen and if you all could uh, you know quickly answer uh, this is uh, just to give you an idea of uh, how we are spread so some of us are uh, uh, small design services company owners uh, some of us are working in design companies um, two of us are from uh, you know design education side and i don't i don't think we have any uh, fresh designers or students so uh, largely polarized towards uh, design services companies we have most of the answers in now this is this is how it looks so most of us are are, are owners of of design companies and i have just uh, one more poll uh, that we will run and that is about uh, essentially how this pandemic has has affected us so it has for some of us uh, it might have affected very negatively for some of us uh, very positively and may not have affected some of us so so for for most of us it looks like the pandemic has affected us somewhat negatively not very negatively for for very few people it has been highly negative but but that's uh, uh, that's the orientation so i'll just share the result there we go so about for 80% of us uh, it is affected somewhat negatively and um, some of the pertinent questions that uh, some of us had was 
uh, and I, I'm just going to throw two or three questions so that you know you could probably center uh, the discussion around that. You know, one of the questions was as a, as a design services business owner, what are the best practices for us? Uh, you know, we come from a non-finance background, non-accounting background. So, what could be the best practices for handling cash flows? Uh, what are the opportunities uh, we could explore uh, during this time? Uh, what are the kind of uh, MIS we should put in place? What is the metrics that design companies should track? That was one of the questions. One of the most uh, pertinent question was, why have investors, stay, investors stayed away from, from design companies? So in India, uh, none of us are, are really, you know, a, a very large company which is invested in, or uh, I don't think anywhere in the world we are a listed company uh, as, as design services. And, and one of the uh, most recent questions being, should we be taking loans to, to pay salaries um, in our uh, organizations? And if we should be taking loans to, you know, cover operating expenses, then what is the best loan to take, whether we should go for a cash credit or a, a lap or a business loan? And, and how do you really sustain your enterprise uh, if, if, if the cash flows are negative? So these, this is the kind of flavor of, of certain questions. I will, we will touch upon more questions and reactions uh, maybe uh, towards the end of the webinar. But uh, I just wanted to give you a feel of, of where we are and, uh, you know, how we are placed and what, what is going on in our minds. Uh, so over, over to you, Dr. Lamba, and, and looking forward to a lot of advice and guidance. So thank you very much for that. Uh, number one, to many of your questions, I probably will not have answers. Why do people don't invest in design companies? I have no clue at all. <laughs> uh, certain other questions of yours, I will require six to eight hours to explain what you asked for. So that naturally shrinks the number of questions that I will be answering today. How much time do I have? 15, 20 minutes, half an hour? Yeah, I mean, we could, we could take about 20 minutes. So at best, what we can do is create a little awareness about, this is one of the most misunderstood subjects. The first misconception, I, I liked it when you said, first you said we are, most of us are non-finance mm -hmm. people, then you corrected yourself to say, you are non-accounting people. I was happy to hear that. Because first of all, there's a misconception about the subject of finance itself. People very often mistake accounting to be finance. And therefore, they stay away from it because they have an accounts department. They think that department is also handling finance. And nothing can be further than the truth with that, from that statement. So accounting is not your responsibility. You can easily hire, delegate somebody to take care of that. But finance is 100% your responsibility. So what is finance? What is accounting? Accounting is the bookkeeping portion. Finance is the decision making. Finance is not only the post-mortem of the decision making process, but the pre-mortem. Every action of yours, unless you weigh the financial implication and then take that action, that action is not financially intelligent. So anybody in the organization whose actions can have a financial implication is a finance person. And therefore, your entire organization is a finance person. Right. And if there is anybody who can say I'm a non-finance person, it is the fellow who calls himself a finance person. Because that <laughs> department, very important department, but it does a post-mortem. It comes into the picture after the good or the damage is done. So my first request to everybody is, for heaven's sake, don't stay away from this subject. The more you learn, the better it will be for you. Number two, you might be aware that financial mismanagement is the single biggest cause of business failures worldwide. Some numbers put it as high as 90 to 95%. 90 to 95% of business failures are attributed to 
financial mismanagement. And on whose part? On the part of people who say we are non-financial. Your finance department perhaps might be the finest in the world. But they are not there when the decision making is happening. They come later into the picture and say the result is this company has made a loss. Or maybe they've made a profit. But by that time, it is too late to undo what has happened. So financial literacy has to go top to bottom. Then you had a question about whether we should take a loan. Loan is something you should be extremely careful before taking. Loan can make you or it can break you. I am I'm not against loans. There are companies, there are people who look at, there are, there are promoters who get up and make statements that we are a debt-free company and they sound very proud about it. That's also a wrong approach because... Everybody has a limited amount of money that you can invest. And if your growth depends upon money, and if you say, I'm averse to taking a loan, then you're putting a ceiling to your growth. So how do you grow beyond that? The only way you can grow is if loans are available, why not take it? So productive loans are wonderful. Unproductive loans can kill you. So the ability to understand when to take a loan, when not to take a loan also decides the fate of your organization. So what is a productive loan? What is unproductive? I have these two rules that I keep talking about because you got to understand when you take a loan and this, this will automatically give us an answer to your question about loan to pay salaries, which according to me is a most undesirable thing to do unless you are in such a desperate situation that your people are there, you're supposed to pay salary, there is no money, what do you do? Probably at the back to your wall, to the wall, perhaps you might have to do it, but that's not definitely not advocated because that is an unproductive loan. By a productive loan, I mean, if I can take money, why am I taking money? Because I have an opportunity staring me in the face, which requires an investment of money. That means if I don't take a loan, I will have to give up that opportunity. But if I take a loan and I'm committed to pay 15% interest on that loan, but where I will deploy it, I can earn far more than 15%, then it's a no-brainer. If I don't take a loan, that opportunity is gone. If I take the loan, I will earn 30%, I have to pay 15%, but not enough. Loans come with an attendant obligation to pay back. And therefore, it is equally important that where you invest the money will bring it back before the loan has to be paid back. These are the two golden rules, which I should require at least two to three hours to explain, but give you in two minutes. Number one, make sure your generation of returns from deployment of that money is higher than the cost of the loans. Number two, the inflow from investment, wherever you invest, it will hopefully generate an inflow. That inflow should happen before the outflow on account of repayment of loan has to happen. Now your loan to pay salaries will not generate any input because it is salary for work done in the past, not in the future. Or if you are today in a position that you have jobs on hand and there are employees and you don't have money to pay salary, and you are taking a loan so that those employees can be retained. And if they are retained, they will work for you. If they work for you, you will deliver some jobs to your clients. If you deliver some jobs to your client, that will generate income. And that income will help you return the loan. Then yes, go ahead. But if you are taking a loan to pay accumulated salary, so this loan is not going to generate any income for you, that can be a little dangerous thing. Having said that, if salaries have to be paid, they have to be paid. If you have no choice, then probably... It is an evil which you probably have to take on. But like I said, not a very desirable situation to be in. So this is my take about loans. A big mistake that entrepreneurs make, and 76 or 86% of you are business owners, so I think I can safely address them. Lots of people say you should not take a loan because they think it costs you. You have to pay interest. By implication, they are saying, you know, where does money come from? You have to invest money in a business. Either you put your money or you take borrowed money. So when you say borrowed money has a cost, you are by implication saying my own money is free, which is another very, very dangerous statement. Gentlemen, always remember 
business is run with one objective and that is to make profit creative people like you i hate to talk about thing like profit because you are there for something else also but ultimately your business has to be sustainable and for it to be sustainable you got to remember the returns from the business okay let's go two step backward where does money come from to fund a business you must remember business is a zero sum exercise business by itself has nothing of its own and gets nothing left it's a medium it's a vehicle so when a business needs money it has only one option and that is to borrow and who does it borrow from it borrows from the owner don't forget owner's money is also a loan a business borrows from the owner a business borrows from an outsider since both are in the nature of borrowings in your balance sheet both appear as liability on you know capital as well as outside loans both are shown as liability the idea is not to forget gentlemen both are loans and why is it important to remember your money is also a loan because folks two things there's a different way in which i can treat a gift and a different way i need to treat a loan if owner's money is not a loan then it tantamounts to a gift folks if you give me a gift today and if on a sunday i go to the race course and i blow up the money no big deal but if you give me a loan i have a far greater obligation i have to treat that money with much greater respect i have to make sure i conserve that money not only conserve the money i generate income why because loan comes with an obligation to service it and loan comes with an obligation to return it so i am saying the owner's money deserves the same respect the difference between a banker as a lender and an owner as a lender is a banker comes with a predetermined time frame that return my money in the next one year two years five years poor fellow owner doesn't put a time frame that doesn't mean he doesn't want his money to be preserved he says worst come to worst at least when the business shuts down this money that i have invested should be there i should be able to take it back hopefully appreciated compared to what i put in not depreciated secondly if bankers give you loans with an expectation of returns owners also give you loans with an expectation of returns so owners money also has a cost and not only it has a cost the cost of owners money is far greater than the cost of borrowed money borrowed from outsiders i mean this is also borrowing and i would personally put it at rock bottom if you want to take an extremely conservative approach then the owner should generate a return which should be at least three times what you pay on loans from banks etc now you take in this money and what do you do you'll deploy it and you'll run your business with it and that business will generate income and to earn that income you have operating expenses salaries and rents and this and that and what is left is called a profit now this profit should be sufficient to reward both these lenders owners and outsiders and unless therefore the owner continues to get his desired rate of return that business is not worth running so i feel this if you keep in mind in fact you got to remember business is run with single objective and that is to make money for the owner everybody else is making money in order that owner makes money not at the cost of the owner so you can imagine the tragedy when everybody is paid salaries are being paid rent is being paid banker is being paid but the owner is getting nothing one has to start questioning why am i running this business did i start the business to generate employment in the country did i start this business to for vendors to make money for bankers to make money or did i start the business for me to make money so folks unless this focus is maintained of course having said that why does owner get such a high return why should the expectation be three times because he is also a risk taker there are years in which he may get nothing so i'm not saying this has to be on a daily basis 
But if you take a five-year perspective, when you look back, on an average, the owner's earnings should be the greatest amongst all. So this is one more message which I want everybody to keep in mind. Right. So, so uh, Dr. Lamba, you, you spoke about ROI um, uh, for, the, for the owners. Um, a lot of us uh, uh, don't actually put physical money, but there is a lot of sweat uh, that goes in and, and you know, we need to compare it from uh, what would be the value in the market against you know, what we are earning, in a, especially in the initial years. right? So that's one metric um, that we should look at. Uh, what what are the other metrics that small businesses like us uh, should should sort of follow or, or or keep our eyes on? I think for your sweat you should take out salary. Then the rest has to be return on money. So you are getting rewarded in two ways. One is for your physical labor that you put in. I suggest at least notionally put a salary whatever you think you deserve as your market price, maybe a little more. And beyond that, if money has been invested, and mind you, money does get invested whether you realize it or not. Because the business is constantly generating profit and all the profit you're not taking home. So the profit you leave back in the business is actually your investment of money in the business. So on that money, you should be generating return, which I feel if a bank gets, you're paying 12%, then owner should get between 30, 35, 40%. In addition, for your effort put in, you should get some, put a salary figure over there. And then you are making sure this metric is telling you are you is your business worth running or maybe not what are the what are the what are some of the opportunities that that you think might have opened up for uh, you know design consulting companies as a business due to this this changed context due to the pandemic um, do you think there has been anything on that side from a positive impact angle you see in my opinion i am also from a service industry but different from y'all because y'all probably would still have constraints uh, in the sense that each client deserves attention, deserves time. So you have a ceiling. Otherwise, in this pandemic, thanks to these, this technology that we use, the markets have opened up. World has become the market. And if volumes can go up, I don't know whether in your case volumes can go up or not because you still have to devote time to each client. That's right. Let's say someone like me, if I'm doing training, earlier on, if there were 20, 30 people in a room because the room could accommodate 20, 30 people. Now there is no room, physical room. Right. So I can probably have 300 or 3000 people and they don't have to be from one town where I'm sitting right now. They could be from all over the world. So suddenly the market has expanded and therefore on the positive side for the client, we can reduce the price. So it's a win-win kind of a thing. Right. What you lose in terms of per head charging, I don't know whether you... I don't know your industry very well. Therefore, I may not be able to answer questions specific to the design sector. So if you have things where you can cater to mass, I don't know if you can do training session on teaching, creating more, more designers in the world, then suddenly this will be a wonderful thing for you because you, the training can happen through technology like this, through Zoom, through Team and so on. And therefore, pricing can come down. So business can come in. So I think you'll have to look for opportunities. If I come to you saying design my whole, you know, my look and feel and my logos and this and that, then whether you're doing online or you're doing face to face, the time involved is the same. So you suddenly cannot, you know, you cater to too many more clients. So I think if everybody applies your thought and sees which things are there, which can be mass producible. For example, since I left my CA practice and many other things I was doing and went totally into education as a hobby turned passion turned full-time activity. But being a CA trained 
person mind used to be now if i'm going to teach if i'm going to stand up and teach in a room then i can't teach more than 365 days so the growth is automatically pre decided so then you always thinking how do we break that barrier so we took the root of e learning and we took the root of videos and we took the root of books so i used to call it we are trying to productize a service when it is service it has constraints but the moment it becomes a product it becomes mass producible right so i think a thought to be applied by everybody will have to be where can you which area can you productize your service that's 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 a great insight uh, dr lamba could you could you give us uh, a few examples of uh, uh, some of the service companies that have probably productized their business and do you think this could be a path uh, uh, for small service companies to look to become more uh, attractive to investors uh, do you think that Uh, that's that's a part I think this should be one of the topics of one of your subsequent adi meetings brainstorming because since i don't know your industry very well i know to a little extent uh since everybody will now be using social media and you guys are the creators you are i think that is one very very great opportunity because we need to reach out to the world now how you no longer can advertise on print media you can no longer advertise on the traditional ways because the cost will go through the roof so the only option seems to be social media so since you are catering to many clients who would be using that this is one great opportunity i think which uh, and without designers this cannot be done so designer is the most important ingredient in that so i think that is one area second area could be education and training and creating more designers I think this needs brainstorming. I've not given enough thought to it. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, anybody else would like to um, share anything or uh, probably uh, have any I doubts? Have, I, have, uh, I have a that, question. I have a question. Sure. So, sure. so you know, there is uh, recently I was reading a uh, reading about the government allowing uh, patents to be leveraged as assets, right? If you have intellectual property, you can leverage that as an asset and then use it as a collateral. Uh, what is have what is your view on that, and how how does one value that? Is there a from from an accounting perspective, uh, there'll be a lot of misconception about this. Just as you have something called patent, there's another term called goodwill, hmm. another term called brand value. these are all perceptions in the mind of people if 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 your balance sheet has something called a brand on the asset side and mine doesn't it doesn't mean i don't have a brand value and it doesn't mean you have it or or vice versa suppose my balance sheet shows brand that doesn't mean i have a brand value my balance sheet can only have a brand over there as an asset provided i have paid for it you see in your normal colloquial language you will say oh this fellow has a lot of brand equity you are saying his brand is very known or you know everybody knows it but it doesn't enter the balance sheet unless there is a monetary value attached to it which you have paid for okay. so so my balance sheet has brand only because i went to somebody and i said listen i want to buy your brand and i paid him a certain amount that has come in yours is the home grown brand therefore it doesn't appear in your balance sheet okay that doesn't mean you so someone's balance sheet that doesn't have brand as an asset doesn't mean it doesn't have so your brand normally will never appear in your balance sheet if and when you decide i want to sell or a foreign guy comes and says mahajan you done such a great job sell me your company i will pay you 50 crores now this brand will appear in his balance sheet not yours so even though you build the brand it will never ever come into your balance sheet right right 
most of our efforts goes in shift, moving design from one side of the balance to the other, right? <laughs> <laughs> that has been the challenge. That's been the selling challenge for designers for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, that, that has been one of our uh, concerns with, with most of the clients for the design industry. We are always, design is always the cost center. We are, you know, uh, right there uh, with R&D. And uh, it's very difficult to move uh, uh, money spent on design. Uh, people don't capitalize money spent on design. They it's a choice. Uh, completely a choice. expensify it. I mean, it's a choice. They may have opted to put it as an expense so that they can write it off for tax purposes. Right. Because if you have spent a significant amount of money, and if you feel the effect of what you have done will last over extended period of time, then correctly speaking, it should be capitalized. So if someone doesn't do it, it has been a choice of theirs, or probably they're trying to hoodwink the income tax department. <laughs> <laughs> so so the question came from how do we how do we really uh, kind of change this attitude with uh, you know ah, so literacy so literacy so we must do a program, Rugwe. Yeah. <laughs> we must. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you, Salim. <clears throat> Dr. Lama, I have a question. And sure. it's not question not about like, you know, your advice is about uh, what should you do and all that. The question is about, see, uh, you're a professional who uh, probably is, is uh, a neutral to our uh, business or our communities. Like just trying to say that you're not, a, uh, you're not having that uh, same problem of having the, the skin in the game. So as an outsider, how do you see a design profession as, as something that has got, you know, kind of a, a financial footprint, you know? Like you can understand that a fashion design company can be assessed by the, the brand, the collections, the kind of revenue that goes in all. Or you can actually probably understand how a ad agency is uh, looking like, you know, financially, like how it looks like uh, in, a, in case of their financial uh, graph for what kind of balance it looks like. Uh, how do you see uh, a design company's uh, financial footprints as an outsider, as a you know, person, uh, neutral person around for this profession? Haven't given it a thought, haven't seen any design company's balance sheet, but I have a feeling since you're in the service sector, yeah. you know, there's a term in costing called contribution. Contribution is your profit is a result of your revenue generated minus your expenses, but your expenses can be broken up into two parts. There are variable expenses and there are fixed expenses. So if you minus the variable expenses from your revenue, what is left is called contribution. Okay. And contribution minus fixed cost is profit. Of course. So consequently, somebody said you're working with Tata Motors formally. So Tata Motors, if they make a sell an Indica car for 15 lakhs, the variable cost to make that car might be 12 lakhs. Mm -hmm. So the contribution left is about 3 lakhs. Mm -hmm. And then they have about, say, 30 crores of fixed cost to be recovered. So 3 lakhs is the contribution per car and 30 crores is the fixed cost. Then unless say they sell maybe say 100 cars, they will not break even. Of course. Now advantage in any service industry is the variable cost component is very small. So if you bill somebody 1 lakh rupees, probably your variable cost may not be more than 3, 4, 5,000. So the contribution generated is as high as 95%. Now, the only thing you have to figure out is how to recover the fixed cost. You may have a team, you have staff, you have rent, etc., etc. So once you have sufficient clients, so, so your client should be broken up into bread and butter clients yeah. who give you enough revenue to cover those fixed costs. 
Now beyond that, for every hundred rupees billing that you do, ninety-five rupees is your profit. So that suddenly gives you scope for, if you want to be predatory in your pricing, you have a lot of scope. If somebody charges hundred, you can even charge six rupees and make a profit because the variable cost is only five. So if with this COVID happening and if the market is opening up and you can make your presence felt to the world and there are other countries where business can come in from and if to make an entry, if you wish to go with aggressive pricing, I think the scope is up. If Tata Motors wants to be aggressive, 15 lakh Indica, they can sell lowest at 12 lakhs. Below that, they'll make a cash loss per car sold. Correct, correct. So I think this is one great strength of anyone in the service. I'm not only saying in design guys, someone like me, anybody. So I think, so this basic understanding of finance, everybody should have, just to give you an idea, is everybody here comfortable with stuff like variable cost contributions and so on? Yes. For example, let's say, let's say you're running an airline. Let's say you have a flight leaving from Pune to Delhi. You have a hundred seater aircraft. Let's say you have just now filled fuel in your aircraft of five lakh rupees. So cost of fuel, five lakhs, number of seats, hundred. So per seat fuel cost is 5,000. Now let's say you spend another two, 300 rupees per passenger giving him sandwich, soft drink, etc. So 5,000 fuel, assuming these are the only costs, 5,000 fuel cost, 300 rupees, 5,300 is your cost per passenger. You decide we will price Pune Delhi flight at 9,000. Now imagine flight is about to take off. 100 people are not there. 50 people are there. And one fellow comes running up the runway bag in hand. Can you take me also? But he says, I can't pay 9,000. Now, what is the least we can uh, charge him? Would you like to answer on chat also, anybody? Yes. One rupee. Your cost rupees. is 5,000. Huh? <laughs> How much is the least you can charge him? So, very often the response would be 5,300. Can't go below that. Your range is between 5,300 and 9,000. But if this fellow says, I can pay 1,500 rupees, can you take him on or not? Grab him. Don't let him go. It's a different matter to him. You should charge 18,000 because he has come last minute. <laughs> yeah. But if he says, you know, take me on, otherwise another flight is leaving 30 minutes, I'm going there, then don't let him go. <laughs> so then this makes a difference between, so you react according to situations. Whole idea being, gentlemen, don't forget how to improve bottom line. Your entire focus has to be how to improve bottom line. Unless you work with an eye on the bottom line and at one time in India, profit was a bad word. Folks, unless you don't make profit, how will you survive? I mean, even if you some a charitable organization has to generate surpluses, not deficits. If they generate deficit, the charitable organization shut down. So if somehow this this literacy has to go across everybody, it is this is a job of everyone within the organization. Uh, I have a question. Yeah, hi. Uh, so uh, to kind of meet uh, short-term revenue um, gaps, let's say. So let's say there's a lot of uh, billing that has happened, but uh, the conversion uh, is not happening as in the uh, clients are not paying up and things like that. In such a situation, which is happening right now, what would be a better uh, way to go? So accessing your CC or uh, things like bill discounting, which uh, the government is offering to MSMEs? So both options are open to you, bill discounting as well as CC. If your client is reliable, if you know the money is bound to come in, then the only thing you have to do is whichever is the cheaper option is what you should choose. Bill discounting okay. will cost you a certain amount. CC will cost you a certain amount. Whichever costs you less is the option you should choose. Okay. Like as simple as that. As simple as that. <laughs>
I have a quick question. I'm just uh, twisting one of the earlier questions that uh, was asked, like about investors. Um, um, basically, what I've understood is that uh, I could be wrong, and that's what I'm just looking for clarity uh, for maybe everyone that uh, investors do not like to invest in the service sector, right? That is one impression that I've got, right? And the second part is that uh, maybe maybe we should then uh, keep our minds open to adapt, like some of the suggestions you gave. What exactly are investors looking for? That can maybe help us, you know, help to guide us which direction to take. Like investors typically look for scalability, you know, that you should not be able to be duplicated very fast, right? The app routes are like doing very well. So, you know, any, any light for us, like what usually are the investors looking for? First thing they look for is scalability. Any business which is not scalable will not attract private investors, private equity. So unless you can productize certain parts of your service, this problem will continue. But then having said that, if your business is not scalable, why would you want investors? You should probably use borrowed money only. Borrowed money is the cheapest money. First of all, I'm assuming you will not raise money whether investors are borrowed unless you see results coming out of it. Because if you don't see results coming out of it, neither you should take bank loan nor should you take investors money. And if you see results coming out of it and if your business is not scalable, then I'd rather take money which in the next few years I can pay back and have the entire ownership with myself. Why would I want to share the ownership with somebody? So the only time where you should also seek investors is number one, you feel there's a lot of potential for growth and therefore it is scalable. Number two, you feel the investor, in fact, investor only putting in money is a useless fellow. He'll make your life miserable. That investor should come with some strength. That investor should either be able to leverage market for you or be able to leverage technology for you. So your investor has to be necessarily a strategic investor. So I think a lot of thought you guys should give to the scalability part of it or productizing part of it. All right, okay. That is, that is uh, I have wonderful. a question. I have a question here. This is Yogesh. Dr. Lamba, are you open to take another question? Because of course, of course, of course. Of course. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, I think this, uh, this is a question probably a lot of designers uh, might find it close to their heart. See, a lot of times we are creating some uh, solution or adding value to our client's business. And uh, most of the times we are fighting to justify that value to him saying that it really, really is that value and we should get paid and the rest of the story follows in terms of our generated fees. A lot of designers also have ideas which they feel that it can be productized. Yeah. So maybe somebody says that I can make something uh, in my backyard and possibly it has the possibility of scalability or I can make some small souvenirs which I can sell or I have this large product idea which I know I can passionately design but I probably need an investor who possibly pushes it or maybe is able to capture it well and guide. So in such a situation, there is a, there is a dilemma for the designer to understand what is his role into this entire scale uh, because he's passionately involved and the invet investors is mostly involved with the kind of a finance or the money background. And uh, how do you see a designer interacting with the investor in such a situation? What, is, what would be your advice to a designer 
where he should draw a line, where he should really go that far, or where he should leave some things to the investor so that maybe the separate entity can be formed which can be floated on its own, where designer keeps his interest as well. A difficult question to answer, but I think there will be many, many businesses where design will play an extremely important role. Certain businesses, they may not, it may not. But in certain businesses, it will play an extremely important role in the success of that particular product that, that is being launched by that startup. Now, having said that, some startups may be reluctant to, they may, for constraints of money, may be reluctant to pay a huge amount to the designer. In fact, this is giving, while listening to you, a thought was coming to my mind. If you guys can somehow become partners with that startup, saying don't scrounge, don't cut on the designing costs, and maybe get into, get paid in terms of equity. This way it will solve your scalability problem also. Maybe a certain portion of your energy, if you support startups who either don't have the money, and therefore are reluctant to spend money on design and hiring expensive designers, etc. If you can help them establish their product, help them establish their brand identity, help them create their better presence. And if they don't have the money, get partially paid in money to cover your variable costs at least so that you don't go out of pocket. And for the rest of it, if you get paid in equity and when that startup does well, that can probably bring a great uh, uh, dividends for you. Investors will be looking at it a little skeptically and therefore the time to get in is before the other investors have gotten. <laughs> so that eliminates the problem of handling that number cruncher who doesn't necessarily understand the value of design, etc. Otherwise, it's a matter of negotiation. I think. But this actually is answering half part of my question. The second half of the question was, uh, for example, let us say that I have this particular product that I want to make. It is beautiful or whatever it is, and this is an advantage that I've got. Now, a designer wants to say that, yes, I also have an ambition of getting this into a big company. Uh, maybe uh, my whole forte is into lying into making sure that the product is great. I can create a family of this and all the stuff. But uh, I need somebody to actually manage or run this entire thing. And maybe it means money also. So how should designer find his role into this new entity, which is making this, which is possibly a brainchild of the designer, but what, how should he place himself into this uh, new partnership? That's what is the second part of the question. I'm not talking about. I so the have, idea belongs to the designer. Correct. And he wants so to getting in maybe an engineering technical partner to help. Correct. Yeah. Product. So maybe a technical partner or maybe an investor later on. So how should the designer keep his interest alive? And it should be pretty easy. You make the entire project. This is something which you are, it's your brainchild. You come up with it. You do the projections and you say now you are a hundred percent equity holder when you are there and then you're diluting your equity as and when you get people in. So if you just go with to somebody with an idea and that fellow sees value in your idea, he builds it and then tries to give you a stake. That is a very poor way of approaching it. And there are strong chances of you being gypped of your entire idea and that fellow will take it over and consume you. So if a designer has an idea of a great thing which can become a large project, then I suggest take that idea to the logical end on paper, see the value, then go and get the right ingredients, the missing ingredients that are there and start giving equity to those guys 
according to what you feel that value they they bring to the table i think that would be a far better way to approach this Oh, that's, okay, great. that's wonderful. This I has been are, uh, yeah. great, Dr. Lamba, and I think you know you have you have stirred our brains, and I think <laughs> we will require that. I have one question. Siddharth, I have one question. If Dr. Lamba is willing to, sure, sure, sure. Uh, Dr. Lamba, are you, are you willing to? Absolutely. Stay on for a all right, all right, Dr. Lamba, this is Ashish here, and Hi. I have a question to you now as an educator. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and since you have been now uh, in the field of education for many years. And uh, in design education, one of the things which we have noticed is that you are taught about uh, value. You are never taught about profitability or profit. And we talked about, and I think you, you made the whole uh, essence right at the beginning by saying that the entire exercise is all about profitability, making profits. In, in, in the whole design world and uh, this whole world of design education, each student is told that it's about creating value. And, and, and the word probably profit is equal to money is never mentioned. What value means is that you are doing good. You are doing good to the consumer, you are good to the, doing good to the society, you are doing good to the business and so on. But it never boils down to profitability. Do you see a case where profitability, as in how do you manage your finances and make money out of it, becomes a subject in, uh, and should become a subject probably in the field of design? 100%. And by design, any, any course, in fact, finance has to be mandatory subject. Any training is incomplete without a training of finance. The mention, the course that Rugved mentioned, that long course, lots of, I think Rugved also has an IIT some background, right? Oh. Lots of IITNs have done that course. And all these IITNs are now large business people, uh, influential business people. And invariably a question used to come in every batch why weren't we taught this in IIT? <laughs> so because they were now influential people, they went and spoke to IIT Bombay. Many years back, I had a long conference call with IIT Bombay saying, what are you teaching them? And after that, I believe they've introduced a subject in the curriculum. Because these people who are now people whose voices could be heard and they went and repeatedly told those guys, <laughs> So, you know, this education is incomplete without teaching finance. And also why profit is important, even if you want to, don't want to make money for the sake of making money, you want to do charity. Look at Bill Gates, continues to make money, but gives 90-95% of his wealth as charity. Look at Azim Premji. They haven't stopped making money. Otherwise, they should be saying, I want to do charity, why should I make money? If you don't make money, you can't do charity also. Right. Profit doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something bad. It is something to do good also, you need money ultimately. <laughs> Right. Thank you, Dr. Lamba. I think it's a big lesson for all the, uh, you know, the, the world of design education. Thank, thank you so much for, for that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so thank much. You, Dr. On, yeah, on, behalf, on behalf of uh, ADI Pune, I would like to really thank you, Dr. Lamba, for putting things in black and white, actually. While as designers, we like to romance the colors. And finance is always a gray area for us, but Romancing the balance sheet has been very, very out of scope kind of a subject. But thank you for coming. Thank Pleasure. you for coming. Thank, thank you for inviting. Do we have also? Can I have one more question, if, if sure. possible? Sure. So, uh, so hi, I'm uh, Satyajit. I don't know why my video is not switching on, uh, but uh, I'm running a product uh, innovation company. Okay, so I am. We are not a consultancy. 
what we do is we take the product like we said from scratch we we patent it we edit ip we take it to market to a certain stage and then we sort of look at how we can leverage that ip or we can take that product forward we were able to do that with one of our products which is sporty we just licensed it to a tile company in india after running it ourselves for about uh, uh, 16 months and having sold about 18000 units on our own and, and then we were able to capitalize that but that took a lot of lot of time and a lot of effort you know in in the first one year what happened is we are not a sanitary ware company but first toilet first project was a toilet product in the ceramic field now what we realized is we are going to keep building different kinds of products in different kinds of domains right so we are sector agnostic now having said that when i'm raising money for this kind of a venture what happens is uh, either i will get a partner who's in a particular sector or who wants to look at it like that because there are very few investors that i've got, come across who understand the design background or where we are coming from as an as as probably like an r and d hub for many different products to be built out right so what would your advice be of how to how to disperse equity in this kind of a scenario because the bet is not only on a toilet but tomorrow i'm built, I've, i've recently built another product which i've launched a, a a subsidiary company in under my main company to run that and to take people on onto those companies so then it gets kept getting complicated every time we do a product so do you think we should look at an investor from uh from from uh, the cloud company or or separate projects first of all compliments i think what you're doing is wonderful this is the way to go about it it can be painful you're doing the initial part yourself at your own cost at your own time yeah, that is. but this is the way that you can give you the highest possible value number 2 who and how much equity to give will be a case to case situation there is no formula for that right again your option has to be you have to give to the highest bidder give the minimum possible equity at the highest possible value right anyone who tells you there are methods of valuation is talking nonsense valuation is only done backwards once you and i agree on a price we'll go backward and fit a formula and say this is the formula we used so right it's a matter of negotiation you got to keep looking the world is very large you'll find people who see the value in what you're doing if you're talking to somebody who doesn't understand the value of design or something don't waste your time with that person right find the right person when you get the right person that is where the deal will happen right it's so frustrating it won't happen overnight you'll have to look for it but then there are agencies and today thanks to internet and all it's not difficult to reach out to you know spread the word right. but i think you're doing a wonderful this is the route i suggest everybody should take right i just have a simple a, a slightly more deeper question into that is when everybody comes and you know when you have investment bankers with you we who we've been talking to for the last you know some years because this is completely bootstrapped at the moment uh you know and we we don't have an investor at the moment but now since we were able to license of our first bet there's obviously some promise that some people are seeing and you know who missed the boat when we were pitching it to them earlier now what i'm understanding is how do you create the valuation on different products because different products have different life uh have a different life and a you know like the scale is completely different for example you all rolled into one company or you got multiple companies currently all rolled into one company i have a subsidiary in india and i have a subsidiary in the us so maybe you should spin off product make a business plan product by product right that's that's what you follow biggest thing that an investor will see is something called proof of concept right so if you need money for proof of concept so take as little minimum possible that you need 
Right. So you should have series of rounds of funding, not obviously one. Right. So you don't want to in, first you need to need to convince an angel investor. Right. Then take it to the next level. All right. Once again, thank, thank you. Thank you, Ramon, Ramon. Ramon. Thank you. Thank everybody. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Lovely. Lovely. Thank you, sir. You